everything that I've learned in real estate is it's a team sport, you know, with the multifamilies. You're, you're teaming up with brokers. You're teaming up with lawyers. You're teaming up with, you know, your local government. You're teaming up with everybody, you know. And as much as you want to think it's just you, it's never just you. You're on a, a playing field of a lot of people. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. It's the Real Estate Law Podcast, and we are here with an amazing special guest who has a really cool story. John Zadoti, uh, he's a real estate investor out of Quincy. What's up, John? How's it going, Jason? It's going, going great. On, Rory? We're going to introduce Rory Gale also. Uh, he's our resident real estate attorney, broker, lawyer, expert uh, with Next Home Title Town Real Estate in Boston and Urban Village Legal. Hello, hey, Jason, it's good to be back recording another podcast. Yes, I know. We haven't, we haven't recorded in, in quite some time, but uh, we reached out to John on Bigger Pockets of all places, which is, you know, as we all know, an amazing place to be connecting to folks. And John had an interesting story, at least it seemed that way. Uh, and in our time chatting before the podcast and just now, it got even more interesting. So, you know, we're really eager to have John uh, tell a story about, you know, what he's up to in the form of out-of-state real estate investing and things like building up his team and how he pivoted from a career in construction with some of the uh, big players here in New England and lots of other fun stuff there. So we're going to learn an awful lot from John today. So John, welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast once again. Jason, thank you. Um, and Rory, thank you very much. Thanks for having me here. So, so John, tell, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, you know, we were just talking before we hit the record button and we learned a little bit about, you know, how you evolved into a career where you're doing some pretty big projects out of state. But why don't you take us back to, you know, the start, like how you made that change from college into this? So I originally, um, I have been in real estate investing since 2013, um, I started in uh, in college. I went to college for construction management. Um, graduated from Wentworth with a degree in construction management. I got out of college. I bought my first multifamily property, which was a two-family in Quincy, Mass. Great experience there. I wrote it, wrote, bought it in 2013, wrote it up, sold it in 2017 and bought into a 12-unit in Panama City, Florida, and that was awesome. You know, big, big multifamily. It showed uh, small cash flow, but over, you know, the first year or so, you stabilize it and build the rents, and it showed significant upside with increasing rents. Um Unfortunately, within a month of owning the property, we were hit by Hurricane Michael. Hurricane Michael decimated the, the whole area, and we basically had to go through a major renovation. Luckily, 
with just graduating college in construction management, I was able to kind of facilitate the work that had to be done, knowing, you know, which contractors and which stage had to be at the property and being able to do it remotely using um, our property manager down there. It, everything worked out great. Um, the lender required us to use a, um, a property manager that we were unable to even get a hold of after the, uh, the hurricane. So we um, ended up using the original property manager that I wanted to use that kind of helped us acquire the property. So that, that ended up working out well. Let me just jump in and ask a quick question. And Rory has a question too, but there's, that's an amazing story because a month after you buy a property, it gets decimated. Is that what we heard? Yeah. Rory, what would you do in that situation? I don't know. I mean, it struck me that uh, John's comment was everything worked out great. So this is your, your first investment. It's a big, enormous investment. And a month into it, you almost have the worst case scenario happen where a hurricane comes through, devastates the property. It makes puts contractors in short supply throughout the area. Meanwhile, you're managing this from out of state with an unresponsive property manager. Um, but yet the quote I have written down is everything worked out great. That must have something to do with how you approach the problem. Um, you know, even just mentally, you know, that would have been kind of a difficult nerve wracking uh, project <laughs> a situation to have on your, on your first major investment. Um, so, you know, what did, how did you handle it or what, you know, what advice would you have for people that are facing kind of a similar problem so that they can hopefully come onto a podcast someday and say everything worked out great. So um, in addition to that, I was on my honeymoon with my wife that I had just married um, when I got a Facebook message from a contact that the property manager that um, wasn't, we weren't able to use because of the lender, but he reached out to me. I, uh, he asked what's going on with the property. The whole city is decimated down here. But basically what we did, what I always did was the more contacts you have in an area, the better you're going to be. And basically, while we were doing our due diligence on the property, before we even submitted an LOI, we, um, I did research on property managers in the area. It's just something I... I have always done um, and that that's important because if you're going to be out of state investing you need boots on the ground you need people to go by and you know make, make check on the property every once in a while you need you know because you're not going to be there um, granted the world isn't that big anymore the world the world is very small Florida is a plane ride away. What's that? Four hours? Mm -hmm. You know, um, New Hampshire is a drive away, two hours. Connecticut, two hours. You know, not, nothing's that far away anymore. So, I mean, that that's my thought process. Um, and I 
I'm not a big fan of investing up here in the Northeast, but um, that's different—a different discussion. Um, so the the world's not that big. You can hop on a plane, go check your property out. You you get all these tax incentives for traveling to go see it. You know, there, there's lots of help in the property world. So, but the pivoting, you know, with the, the hurricane mindset, you know, nothing, nothing is that difficult. There are contractors, you're not going to do the work yourself. So, you know, the, the experience you got at Wentworth um, and what you studied kind of put you on this path toward getting your first multifamily in, in Quincy and then investigating out of state, you know, large development investments such as this. And, and I asked that question because, you know, many college graduates that don't graduate with real estate degrees or, or, or degrees related to business, finance, what have you, like, I think this is so off their radar with the first 10 years of your work life. Cause if you graduated in 2012, right? Yeah. So, you know, we're, you're under 10 years um, after college. And I just think back to me 10 years after college and I had a great job, but this was nowhere near what I thought was available to do. Tell us about that. Like, did that kind of put you on this path, help you out? So uh, the construction management degree, um, I, I've always, as, as long as there are contractors, you know, as long as there are people available, it's just a call away, you know, you, you can, you can get anything done. You, you just have to know how to manage people and work with people. So I do feel that the construction management degree definitely helped me uh, or helped us because it's not me. It's all of us, you know, and mm -hmm. you, you work as a team. It's all, it's all about building teams, teams, kind of make everything happen so um and especially when you get into the multi-family world it's a team sport no matter how you look at it it's never just one person and i i've learned this uh in these grand cardone masterminds um and on bigger pockets and you know every everything that i've learned in real estate is it's a team sport you know with the multi-families you're you're teaming up with brokers, you're teaming up with lawyers, you're teaming up with, you know, your local government, you're teaming up with everybody, you know, and as much as you want to think it's just you, it's never just you. You're on a, a playing field of a lot of people and you're teaming up with attorneys to, you know, push your you're closing through the finish line and, you know, signing all the contracts needed to keep everything rolling, you know? So everything to me is a team sport in, in real estate. So did that answer the question? Yeah. I don't know what you think, Rory, but I think a lot of people that listen to this or listen to other podcasts that are starting out are saying, how do I start my team? Right. You know, and and you, you're you're already saying how important that team is, and that you're good at team building. I like to think I'm good at team building, but uh, basically, my team starts with you know you start with the broker, you start with 
uh, and simultaneously you want to find a property manager, you want to, you know, be talking to everybody, talking to boots on the ground, talking to other people and just, just kind of networking to find the property and, you know, bring it to a finish line. Um, I think that's where we start on it. Let me ask you this, because, um, you know, the other headline I have from you is just, you know, it's everything is a team sport. Did you put together your team in Panama City first and then find the investment? Or did you find the investment first and then build a team around the um, the investment? So Panama City was, that was, we found a property and then we kind of targeted investors. Uh, okay. Or we, we, not investors, we targeted the manager, we targeted um, in, in that area. So that was kind of the property and then the the team. How uh, many trips do you think you've done down there, like since you purchased it? Which also includes, you know, post-hurricane, figure out what we're going to do. Uh, two trips. We made one trip to inspect the property. And then I made one trip post hurricane just to kind of see how, how bad it was hit. Mm-hmm. And that was six months after and the city was still decimated. Um, we did end up going through three contractors before we actually got someone on there to get it done. But have, have you been back since? No. Yeah, I mean, our property manager kind of handled everything. The the property is, I mean, we have pictures. We've done Zoom walks or Mm -hmm. FaceTime walks. And, I mean, it it came out great. So, and it's rented, fully occupied. I mean, the the lesson here is that you don't need to be going down to an out-of-state market consistently, even after a hurricane, if you have a good team on the ground to manage everything and probably good communication, I'd imagine. Yeah, communication is key with anything. But yeah, that uh, it works great. And, you know, we, we get a check every month and it's all good. So... So tell us about the before and after, though. You were mentioning that before we started recording um, that you've been able to increase rents as a result of basically rebuilding the property. So pre-hurricane, uh, rents were between 700 and 900 a month. Now they're uh, north of 12 to 1,400. Property uh, got a full rehab. It, it I mean, it's the the windows got blown out inside the the pro, the interiors got damaged. It was pretty bad, uh, and I I went down there six months after. It was uh the, there was some crazy damage throughout the whole city, but um, the rehab allowed us to increase rents, um, get those new tenants. We we were actually able to sign on with the military and the, the Air Force and the Navy base in Panama City, Tyndall Air Force Base and uh, the Panama City Navy base to actually get the military 
personnel into the property, which uh, allowed, uh, you know, got us good rents. It, it worked out great. The mm-hmm. And as you know, with commercial property, which is five or more units, goes on a valuation where the income determines the value of the property. The income and the cap rate determines the value of the property. So um, increasing the rents increase the value of the property, which is great. That's what property owners like to hear. Right. That's a key difference. You know, it's just kind of strikes you that you're jumping right into kind of these larger projects um, that are clearly commercial projects, you know, five units or above. And yeah, for valuation, that's a key difference. The smaller properties often get the, the comp analysis and there's not as much you can do to, to increase your own valuation. But here, you know, if you can go ahead and um, research the building and actually go out and prove that the building's more valuable by finding more, um, you know, high paying tenants, you can actually increase your own value. Was that what kind of drew your interest to the larger properties or was it something else that, that got your interest in the, the big, the big investments? So the big investments, I mean, the, the two, three and four unit properties are great, but when you get into the bigger investments, if you lose one tenant, you lose less percentage of your rental. Mm-hmm. If you have one tenant stop paying, you lose less percentage of your rental. That's one thing um, that I like. I mean, it, it it's all a numbers game with the bigger properties. And then um, also uh, the, the valuation where, you know, you increase rents, it increases the value of the property. That's great. That you know that that is that that's kind of what draws me to these bigger prop bigger commercial properties. Um, so, could you take us through like when you were researching the property, and I mean you had to put money down for the property, but you did allude to commercial lending and how uh, how property values are calculated, and it's based off you know the rent rolls. So. How much did you guys have to bring? Like, did you have a team of people that all, you know, put the down payment together? Um, did you use like your previous experience with your multifamily in Quincy, or at least some some money from that toward your contribution? Um, yeah. You know, I, I asked this just because I think a lot of people that are listening are probably saying, "Geez, this this sounds like something that I might want to do." But you know, what do I have to bring a million dollars to the property, or do I have to bring ten thousand, or some number in between? Yeah. So, um, it was a million dollar property. We, uh, we, you put down, um, typically you, you can get loans as high as 80%, um, loan to value, uh, or using the appraised number as the value. Um, and then, uh, the, you know, um, with the big commercial properties, your uh, the property holds the um, the debt, right? So it, it's not really looking at your specific, you know, credit scores, stuff like that, on the bigger properties. So, or yeah, the the property secures the debt, right? So basically, what the returns that the bank calculates. Um, 
secures the debt that you're going to be able to get on that property. We uh, we went 80% um, loan to value on that. So we had to kick up about $200,000, you know, and then you, you buy in there, um, the, depending on, like, if you're going into a syndication, if you're going into, you know, something of that matter, um, the the buy-ins will be so much of that down payment, and then you'll, you'll get distributions based on that. Um, so, and I, I don't, I mean, everyone does syndications differently they have waterfalls they have you know all sorts of stuff which i'm finding out now but um we you know kicked up uh, a good chunk of money 20 percent, and then um we're, we're just kind of going from there so rory you've worked with a lot of investors how does that align with some other investment groups that you've worked with um you know in terms of the way that different projects get syndicated um you can there are a lot of different creative creative ways to do it you know we see in the, the waterfall method you alluded to that's kind of the one that i've seen a lot around here um yep. but you know my my focus has always been kind of in new england which is why i kind of like to always ask you know how everything works outside of it but we've seen you know simple structures among like uh, among family members who are going in a project together to um, kind of more advanced waterfall um, arrangements where you have, um, you know, unrelated, uh, multiple unrelated people you know, working in the investment together. And by that, I mean, they're just different tiers of, you know, of, um, of payout. So if the property does poorly, the brunt of that's going to be borne by the investors. If it, you know, hits, hits its goals and it's kind of even split. And then if it far exceeds its goals and the, those who are actively managing it, get a, a larger cut. But you made like one little comment earlier on um, when you're talking about these markets and you said you don't typically like to invest in the Northeast. Um, but my question is um, not what's wrong with the Northeast, but what are you looking for in markets um, that makes it a, you know, makes a, a place a good opportunity? So um, I kind of, I look for more landlord friendly um, laws, which a lot of laws up in the Northeast put the favor make the the laws are more tenant friendly mm -hmm. um so i i kind of i'm more drawn to the states that are more landlord friendly um but i mean if it's a good property if it's a good asset and it you know pays out then go after it you know what are your thoughts on i mean the fact that a hurricane destroy the property. And, you know, there's no secret that we seem like we're getting a lot more of these extreme events on a regular basis. You're planning on continuing to invest in, you know, these hurricane, I don't know, these, these hurricane zones, or you must have good insurance or good risk tolerance. <laughs> so um, no matter where you invest, you're going to have your your disasters right you have earthquakes out west um you fires out west fires out west you you i mean you even have earthquakes there, there was an earthquake in what new york this year in the past year so it, it's you, you're gonna have earthquakes no matter where you go you're gonna have hurricanes in certain states you're gonna have tornadoes in states you're gonna have flooding you know rainstorms winter 
up in the northeast we have winter you know blizzards and and whatnot that create frost heaves in your roof you know you you have disasters no matter where you go the the key is how are you going to deal with it when there is a disaster and the thing about insurance is insurance takes a while so i don't know you have some reserves or you know where to go to get the money if you do get hit with a hurricane or with a disaster that kind of the key because um so like the panama city after the hurricane it took two two to three years before we started getting checks from insurance so having that investor backing they really kind of stepped up and mm-hmm. we were uh, we were very fortunate in that sense um, but then you had two to three years of not collecting rent i mean we're going great now yeah mm-hmm. we stayed about 50 percent occupied through it all okay so it it kind of held the note and at least it, it didn't you know put us under yeah right? but i see a lesson in there if um you know don't spread yourself too thin where you don't have any reserves or any um risk tolerance because if you weren't able to get through that period you would never have come out on the other side with uh you know even better investment than you have right now um so if you didn't have the liquidity um if you didn't have kind of the confidence going forward um you could have abandoned what turned out to be a really really solid investment exactly speaking of hurricane prone areas you also are looking at um or you're in louisiana also for um, a different kind of investment yeah so we we actually just purchased i see a lot nowadays with uh contractors need contractor bays you Mm -hmm. know um contractor bays the you know trucking needs you know places to work on their vehicles, you know, and you you have all these people leaving their nine to five jobs, their W-2 jobs starting, you know, contractor companies. And they're all looking for these contractor bays. Contractor bays right now are at an all time shortage, you know, so um, we actually just purchased in northwest louisiana a uh, 15,000 square foot facility with uh, multiple tenants and where it's like it was 70 percent occupied and it was cash flowing you know 24 percent year Mm -hmm. over year cash on cash return on investment which is unbelievable you know I mean, that's fascinating. I, I don't know how many times I hear from people that are just freaking out over the, um, the, the areas of weakness in commercial real estate, because, you know, a lot of office space and office space downtown have is, a lot of those places, even suburban office parks have taken a hit um, kind of in the COVID era, in the work from home era. Um, so the headlines sort of read that commercial real estate is just, it's suffering, but you're finding areas in commercial real estate that um, are actually in short supply. Um, where the the trends are actually going the other direction, and that makes a you know really solid investment opportunities. Absolutely. Um, How did you locate this deal? 
Uh, this was on um, one of your multiple listing sources, and it had been on for a significant amount of time. And I just I reached out to the the broker, and you know got in there. So, but I mean, with with anything in real estate, your your contacts, you know, your your network is your net worth. So the the more people you talk to, the more people you know, the better you're gonna do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, networking with the brokers, networking with the uh, the property managers, networking with you know anyone that has contact down there. Um, yeah. Because I mean, your brokers are gonna be the ones that find deals. They they're gonna be putting the deals together. Your property managers are gonna know people that are selling, you know, or people that may be interested in selling, and you know, potentially you could get some off market. But so with this deal, you mentioned Northwest Louisiana, which is like the Shreveport area. Is that around? Yeah. There? So you know, did you did you know people? that push you in that direction is that, Hey, take a look in Northwest. No, you didn't. So no. you kind of started looking, yeah. you're looking for, you know, f- friendly places for landlords. You were looking on MLS or LoopNet or somewhere that had, you know, deals and yep. you were looking at deals and you noticed this one was, uh, had been on market for a while, which is not, which is actually a really good strategy to take a look at places that aren't the first, you know, first to hit the market, you know, we're all looking to jump at the new stuff, but the stuff that's been sitting, you know, there's, it's been picked over, no one wanted it, but you know, everything is for sale for a price. So, you know, it's not a bad strategy to have a look at some of the properties that have just been sitting there for a little while and figure out what, you know, what's the situation? Why, why has it been sitting? And then, you know, can you work through whatever that, that arrangement is to come to a deal? But you, you did all that. And then you started building your team in Louisiana. Is that, yeah, that was your process. So that I just, we looked at the property on the listing source and then, you know, you run the numbers and the numbers showed a good return. So we, we were, you know, let's make an offer and see where it goes. And uh, we made the offer, we negotiated and then we closed on it. Um, the, the biggest thing is taking action on that, that property specifically, we, took action by making the offer. And then, you know, then, then we found a property manager in the area and built the team around that. Luckily and or thankfully the, uh, the broker stayed on with us to actually manage the property for us. Do you plan to add uh, in these two markets now that you've built teams up? I want to keep exploring other markets. So, that uh, uh, I'm I'm looking all over, but if yeah. the opportunity presents itself, I yeah. I would definitely add build in both markets. And there's like yeah, kind of two. There's two schools of thought. Like one is you know scale up in the markets where you've already built networks, uh, and and two is spread the risk across a number of markets in case you know anyone just like your property. If you lose one tenant, you know, out of 12, however many it is, it's not yeah. that devastating, but one out of two could be tough. 
Yeah. So, you know, there's exactly. two schools of thought there. It sounds like you're, you're, you're exploring the latter, but, you know, if opportunities come up in the markets in which you're already operating, it would make sense to just tap into the network you already have. Yeah. So, I mean, really, it's all about being flexible. The more yeah. flexible you are, the, the better you'll do, I think, at least, you know. Um, definitely be open to building where you already have a track record. But stay open uh, and stay flexible to build somewhere else as well. John, this is like a fascinating story. I think that you have a background that a lot of people either aspire to look at or they don't even know where to start to get toward this. So I want to throw it to Rory to see if he had any final questions before we get to our final wrap up. And then you could tell everyone how they can get a hold of you. But Rory, did you have anything else you wanted to ask for? John, I know you're taking some copious notes. I'm taking good notes and I'm going to be taking a look at MLS to see contractor bays um, <laughs> probably as soon as we hop off of this. But it's um, but no, I think I'm ready to move on to the, uh, the, final, the final questions. Excellent. So, John, we asked three questions of everybody who comes in the podcast that are not necessarily related to real estate. We thought it'd be a fun way just to wrap up the discussion. The first one is if you had to speak on any one subject for about 30 minutes with zero preparation, like just get up on stage and start blabbing what you know, what would that subject be? I would probably talk about fishing. I really enjoy um, all kinds of fishing, but uh, most recently it's um, been tuna fishing has uh i i've been catching you know some giant bluefin tuna um which are a lot of fun it's a big uh a big feat i know a lot of people travel all over the world to catch tuna i saw one of your catches on your instagram account um yeah. in preparation for this i I couldn't tell where it was taken. It was off. There was like a big breakwater in the background of the picture, I think. Was, was that so, here in the Northeast? That was actually in Plymouth, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Yeah. We caught that fish on the bay and big fish, lots of good, uh, good food. You, you get sushi. Okay. Do you sell it? to the? Do people want to buy it or do you just have it cleaned up at, at the dock? We just uh, we just do it for recreation. Um, I know a lot of people will sell it commercially. Maybe next year we'll get a commercial permit and mm -hmm. we'll uh, we'll fish for. Maybe you could tie some fishing charters with some of your investment locations. You know, I don't know about Shreveport, <laughs> but uh, Panama City. I'm sure they have mm -hmm. some. Sort. So that is kind of my inspiration to invest mm -hmm. nationally. Eventually, I'll own buildings all up and down the East Coast, in the Gulf, along the Gulf, and I'll be able to fish everywhere. <laughs> um, so that, that's the true inspiration behind all this. It's fishing. That's great. Yeah. So second question is, tell us something that happened early on uh, in your life or career that impacts the way that you work today. So I've always been a uh, very hard worker. I've always been, you know, kind of a um, up early, up late, you know, looking whatever to better myself, reading, um, doing, you know, online training seminars, stuff like that. Um, I... Uh, I I was in a car accident real quick. Um, 
I, you know, had to go through, you know, rehab. I was in a coma and that, that kind of, you know, it's really kind of pushed me. And I, I've just, uh, after a, uh, a life changing experience like that, you know, you just, it, it motivates you. It mm-hmm. kind of makes you, makes you work a little harder for everything you got going on. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Value every moment. Yeah, exactly. Um, life is short. Yeah. Make the most of it. Yeah. And have fun along the way. Right. Exactly. Our final question is, uh, what are you watching or reading or listening to these days? doesn't have to be real estate. doesn't have to be some real estate book. It could be something really interesting and fun. So I've actually gotten involved in the 10X movement mm-hmm. with Grant Cardone. I've been uh, reading a lot of his books, um, watching a lot of his online trainings and you know, it's very educational, very um, motivating. It's it's amazing to see what he's done and kind of where you can take this whole real estate investment, investing. Is that helping you in, in modeling out your next couple of years? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so I would like my one-year goal is to kind of get involved in a hundred units. Um, my two year is a thousand units. Wow. My 10 year is 10,000. So, well, that's the 10 X, right? If I do the math correctly, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, but he, he also says go bigger, go bigger. So mm-hmm. we, yeah. uh, we actually, um, we submitted on 300 units a couple of wow. weeks ago, um, yeah. which was an incredible learning experience. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, That's, that sounds like another episode. Once, once you land one of those big deals, we'll have to have you back and you could tell us all about that process. Yes. Yeah. We'll hold you to that math. Yes. <laughs> John, if people want to reach out to you, what should they do? Do what I did, like bigger pockets, or what do you think? Um, I'm on bigger pockets, John Sedoti. Um, I'm on Instagram, yep. Johnny Mac five eight nine zero, no H. But uh, you know, uh, bigger pocket Instagram. We have a lot of connections on there too, so we'll we'll put links to all this in the show notes. Awesome. I would love to hear from anyone. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sure that people are going to take you up on that. So yeah. you know, we, we appreciate your being here on the Real Estate Law Podcast. So that's been a wrap. This has been a really interesting episode. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll look forward to uh, hearing how your story evolves uh, <laughs> with the 10X movement, your properties, and all these different locations. And I think next time we talk, you'll probably have fishing charters up, down, up and down the East Coast as well. So funny thing, my buddy, uh, Billy, actually charters our boat out of Plymouth, seven stripes. So So if anyone wants a fishing charter, your buddy (laughs) Billy, seven stripes. I'll go look that up also and maybe we'll toss that link in there if I could find the website. (laughs) He he gets you on the fish. So all right. Rory and I we we were just talking about fishing yesterday actually. 
right? The one time we've gone in the last five years, I caught the biggest fish, but that's just a, you know, that's just a nice little, <laughs> that's just a nice little accident. Yeah. So that's awesome. Charter out of where, where was it in New York? It was like out of um, City Island in the Bronx. City Island, okay. yeah, and of course right. nobody is catching anything, and of course he got the biggest striper, blood everywhere. But, you know, <laughs> nice. He won the, he won mm -hmm. the pool. I did. So you got, yeah, you, you could bring Rory out on the fishing charter out of Plymouth, and we'll see. You know, he might have the magic touch, and you can get an even bigger bluefin. No, <laughs> right? All right. No, I, I can in in Cape Cod Bay. I, I can catch all the um the dogfish you want, which is probably none, but that's that's yeah. what I can catch. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> John, thanks again for appearing on the episode. Rory, thank you once again for being our resident expert. Where can people find you, Rory? Um, just Google my name, but I'm next on Tattletown and Urban Village Legal. You can find me um, both businesses pretty easily. Excellent. We'll link that up in the show notes as well. My name is Jason Muth. We really appreciate your listening to this episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. And if you liked it, please give us a review or give us a thumbs up or a comment wherever you happen to listen to this podcast. Uh, we appreciate all of that and we read them all. So thanks once again. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Jason. See you next time. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town. Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.